0: listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones fact-checking and confirming what we already know is that the last month of Australian politics, pretty uneventful.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No (laughs) developments.
0: We're back, baby.
1: We're back. We did it. And by we're back, we mean we're not back. We're all remote again. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, oh no <laughs> We had a couple of weeks there
2: I'm struggling to think of like What we talked about in the last episode where we, we were in person But to be fair, I've also been in full holiday mode So I've successfully Over over the Christmas and New Year break I've successfully emptied my brain Of pretty much everything there is to know So I'm just going to vibe into 2022 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
3: I think vibing is the Oh fuck, vibe is the vibe I don't
2: know, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the
3: right Attitude. You've forgotten what vibe means. It's good.
2: It's a start. Yeah,
3: yeah. (laughs) So head
0: empty that I've forgotten what vibe (laughs) means. I think it's just really funny as a as a like quick scan through the last uh document that we had. For the last episode about a month ago, it was labor bashing. So you know, we were on oh, form, yeah. but there's just there's no mention in the notes of COVID, which is like <laughs> <laughs> how young we were.
2: Ah uh, yeah. What what is COVID?
0: <laughs> how optimistic we were. It's like our December twenty nineteen <laughs> episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of jokes of like just you watch this, just you fucking wait, they'll bone it. <laughs> (laughs)
2: I still, it haunts me to this day. I have a very, I don't remember much after recording a podcast episode, but it haunts me that there is definitely an episode where I say, I don't think this will be a big deal about coronavirus. (laughs) (laughs) And for that, I just want to say I mozzed it. I'm sorry. I did this.
1: <laughs> I avoid that problem by always assuming everything is going to be terrible, uh, which is not great for my mental health, but you can never say
0: I told you so. You can you can just lie on the podcast so no one can call you out. You can still be optimistic off the podcast if you really wanted to be. I, I have this instinct to
3: be like, what are we talking about? You know how like sometimes we'll sort of do a riff about some news without talking about what the news is? So, so – so Omicron's bad Just <laughs> to- <laughs> for the
0: listeners who haven't been following the news <laughs> Well, look before we get into all of the fucking nonsense of the last month which I think happily for us is really only Omicron and the government like leaving us to die which is cheery fun news to ring mm. in the new year but we do have something really fucking cool earlier this week I uh, had a chat with Emerald Moon of the Serious Danger podcast and holy fucking shit she a legend and the interview was so much fucking fun, yeah, mostly because stuff. she grew up in like the Byron Bay, Ballina area, just as I did, and also grew up in the hardcore metal scene of that area, just like I did. Now, it, I will let others hopefully gas up the interview. It's not just self-indulgent wank. It's actually a really good interview <laughs> that goes into all of the geopolitics of that sort of shit as well. It's really great, but it was very dear to my heart.
2: I've got I've to gotta correct you. It, it was not wank, but it was definitely self-indulgent. <laughs> yes. No, I'm kidding. But, I mean, no, it's it was really the spirit fantastic. spirit of the
3: podcast, right? <laughs> He's just being deeply self-indulgent while making incisive political points. But I think sort of-
0: <laughs> we sort of circle the toilet of self-indulgence because we've got, we've got five of us pulling at the edges in five different ways each week. But this was just me and Emerald Moon just being like, fuck yeah, hardcore. It saved my life.
3: Hey. <laughs> hate the image of the toilet of self-indulgence. That's the...
0: Oh, it is, though. You fucking know it. It is. (laughs) Our content is the water going in a circle, and we're just all just lapping at the edges, trying to pull it into our little campaign. You're trying to forward sizzle
3: this interview, and you're like... Why are you (laughs) lapping at a toilet? (laughs) Genuinely, I was like, you're messaging the the podcast group chat being like, oh, that was such a good interview. We got to talk about, like, metal and the hardcore scene in Byron Bay. And as a just, like, exclusively Melbourne-based nerd... (laughs) uh, All right, I'll 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 give it a draft listen to make sure that there's no editing (laughs) faults. But no, it was so good, like that. Just taking like points about how important like uh, all ages gigs are for like the the, the, the amount that you spiral that out into like important political like society. Fucking hell. (laughs) Really? <laughs> Stay tuned, listen up. Yeah, I have so many
2: things to say about it, but I can't, like, ruin it for you until you listen to it. But, yeah, just, like, the importance of community through, like, all age gigs. I just, yeah, it was so sweet. I, like, I just, a genuinely good time. So, yeah, look forward to that.
3: <laughs> but not yet. No treat. You have to listen to half an hour of us
0: fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not yet. Let's go down into the content S-Bend and <laughs> <laughs> okay. I felt the content was around the side, and
1: in the middle is self-indulgence. But you know what? Let's dive shit. in, Lang. No, this is an American toilet. It's just this big, wide. No, I,
3: <laughs>
1: I am very sorry for that curse. <laughs> The best way I have to describe Australia's COVID strategy is it's the wily coyote method, where <laughs> we've just been running somehow on thin air, and then we looked down and it turned out we had nothing supporting us at all.
2: The government response is just basically boiled down to "that's crazy." Good luck, though. Um, <laughs> <it's> just- <laughs> I, think, I think
3: that the wily coyote part is the good analogy, but I think it's like you've got to include the fact that we were running on the sort of like ground before the cliff mm.
1: as well, We, all, we where almost the government had it. for
3: years was like, all right, we're going to do sort of lockdowns to try and control the spread, we're going to do uh, <laughs> bloody social support so that people who can't go to work don't have to go to work, we're going to do like all these different like actual programs and responses that were working yeah." And, like Doing good. Like, obviously not perfect. And we have (laughs) years of episodes of us ragging on the fucking holes in that situation. But this one, the government was like, all right, we've learned a lot from what we have done in the last few
1: outbreaks. Mm. And we're
3: going to try something a little bit different for this one. And that Mm. thing is nothing. What if we (laughs) didn't do
1: anything? What if we keep crossing the canyon, but we take away the bridge? Yeah. And just keep the rocket skates.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just it does feel like, you know, every idea that they proposed for a little while sounded good. It's like, fuck, if the Roadrunner does run into the side of that fucking cliff that looks like a tunnel, holy shit, we'll eat like kings. And then, oh, fuck, <laughs> we, totally, <laughs> we totally fucking forgot. We totally forgot that COVID is an infectious disease. Um.
2: I think it really surprises me, and I don't know why it surprises me. It's not like anything's been any different. This is more or less the same as Scott Morrison's MO for, like, the last three years
3: entirely. Yeah. Um, right. We're doing now what Scott Morrison wishes we were doing mm. the whole time. The
2: whole time, yeah. But, like, I don't know why it surprised me so much that, in an, uh, like, coming up in an election year, in a few months even, um, that mm. – Scott Morrison is so confident of his ability to completely <laughs> sweep the floor that he thought, I reckon if I just don't order all those rapid response tests, I mm. can just say, fine, that's what okay. I did. Because yeah. he's
1: bad at his job. Yeah. We're just like, like
2: <laughs> look, the the
3: convenience store around the corner has a queue like all oh. the way down the fucking block because they have like ten rats in their fucking situation and that Scott Morrison gets on television and he's like we do have enough. Oh
2: mm. no no no. He didn't he didn't say we do have enough. He said uh, he, he said Jen went down to the chemist and got one for me, which the is somehow the worst. That one. He has what said was that? he has I
0: think I think the stress is getting to him and this is how it comes <laughs> out. It's just the most like like just Fucking verbal bullshit that has come out of that man's fucked mouth. Just the like, oh, how, how do you get your tests? Oh, I, I don't know. J- Jen, Jen bloody gets them. No, she doesn't. You're the prime minister. There's no <laughs> chance in hell you are not taken care of, you fucking idiot. Cunt. Just save them. Department just
3: provides us with some because I'm the head of state. You, you don't yeah. have to pretend that you're not the prime minister, Scott yeah. Morrison. You're not a suburban dad. We know that.
2: He panicked and just went into full manifestation mode. <laughs> I'm
3: going to get into the... I know we've only been recording for like 10 minutes, but I'm going to jump straight into the psychoanalysis of Scott Morrison. Yeah, let's <laughs> do it. Podcast trademark. I'm sort of sceptical that he panicked or that he has sort of plans. I, I kind of at this point <laughs> think that Scott Morrison, and I don't know if this is defamatory or not, doesn't have an interior monologue to any degree, or sort of even a subjective experience of the world. I think he just is an automaton, not a robot. I'm not saying that he's secretly a robot, and if you cut him, you'd hit metal. I just think that, like, as a living human, he doesn't sort of think or feel. He just... Only
1: acts. I'm going to kick to me He's a philosophical zombie. There we go. Yeah, he's
0: a philosophical zombie. He has no interior life, and yet he, for all intents and purposes, appears to have some sort of inner life and mental state. But the thing is- we keep trying to attribute blame and patterns and and reasoning to a man who is just blank just there, nothing there's this nothing wonderful
3: eternal. book called the gone away world by uh, nick harkaway that it like i mean it's a it's a fairly sort of sci-fi genre uh like thing it's not a political analysis thing but it's 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 got this like the villain is like this super capitalist like you know, a sociopath guy, and there's this, um, I suppose, mild spoilers for the gone away world. There's this bit where the protagonist, like, is sort of scaling the sort of side of the the skyscraper that he lives in, and, like, looks through the window and sees him in his bedroom when he's not being the sort of, like, CEO slash head of state slash, you know, like, cyberpunk god ruler of the, the society that they live in. And he's just sitting in his bed, motionless, (laughs) looking forward with his eyes open, doing nothing. And and the protagonist is just like, oh, wow, when he's not doing that, there's genuinely nothing else to this guy, hey. And, yeah, that's a really uh, affecting image that's really stuck with me. And I I can't believe that I managed to bring it up without actually realising that I was talking about that. But, yeah, also... Fucking amazing book. If you're if you're a reader, check that one I'll out. out. Mm. <laughs> but so, <I>
0: know, <laughs> the thing that got me this week as well was his comments at the cricket where he's just like... Mm. Because he oh, to man. make a political <laughs> oh, point and he wanted to make it for the people. So he says... We've
1: got many challenges there, as, as, as we know at the moment, but this is Australia living with the virus. Look it out look it out there, and Australians taking wickets in the virus. <laughs> <laughs> they are indeed.
0: What? What? Not only does that not mean anything, but the way he has a cheeky look at the other presenters with him, like, he's sitting alongside some people who have just, like, their brain is leaking out of their ears having to listen to this Gronk fucking oh, speak. Oh, mate. Mitch. But he looks at them as if, like, hey, guys... I'd be a lot of fun to have at a party, wouldn't I? You guys like me, yeah. You guys are my good friends, yeah. I'm pretty cool. Those wickets are because
1: of me.
2: I really have to, like, butt in here because- as people who sports follow me on social media shall know, the sports <laughs> sports ball alarm's gone off. Um, I love cricket so much. Um, commentators are terrible, um, no matter what platform you use. Even ABC Grandstand is just full of the biggest old farts you could possibly imagine. Ian Ch- yeah. Chapel, I'm talking to you. Just like
3: I said, yeah, like I know. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, follow yeah. cricket. And, you're you're absolutely right, Evie. <laughs> <on>. <laughs> and
2: even in that space. These people are looking at Scott Morrison next to them going, What the fuck is this guy talking about? He's not even like <laughs> not even like a regular politician that like, you know, it's a it's a very strong tradition that if a prime minister turns up at the cricket, everyone just boos them to shit. Like John <laughs> Howard turning up to the World Cup. Uh, in the 90s, like, everyone just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why are you here? Um, but, like, he kind of had that as, like, a point of pride. And I think Scott Morrison is just really afraid of being booed. So, that's why he appeared at the cricket, but he didn't appear in public. He only went to, like, all these, like, radio and TV oh. and that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> so, he could get his, like,
2: message. Yeah.
0: Like, they, they go they go to the, the grandstands and then they smile, they eat shit for five minutes and leave. Like, that's the tradition Yes. Prime
2: Ministers. Yes.
1: If you don't go into the public, you don't know how much they hate you. If you can't test people for COVID, you don't know how big the numbers are.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The, The sort of response to that was also kind of weird where people, like there was some people being like, why is he going to the cricket and doing cricket commentary? Like he finds time to do that when he can't sort of appear in any kind of public sort of accountability, like media appearance or, or anything that is like asking him about the COVID response or anything. Like he has time to do cricket commentary, but he doesn't have time to actually face questions from the media. And the, there are like a lot of people in the sort of like comments and like tweet replies and stuff to these that I saw being like, oh, it's tradition though. The prime minister always goes to the, 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 <laughs> the you know, the, the cricket game that it's like, <laughs> <laughs> But there is not traditionally a COVID outbreak. Like you know, the
0: traditional pandemic that the Prime Minister has to deal with.
3: It's just like, yeah, obviously obviously society's collapsing. Completely, but that's not a reason to not follow every single one <laughs> of our little media fun little traditions, like the, the fucking, but you know, the pardons the bloody Biden pardoning the
0: turkey, even like yeah. just this is all the fucking <laughs> no, but like you the, know, in the, World War argument, <laughs> I, the, the argument totally is if we don't have those traditions, then what do we bloody have, McLean?
2: Well, tradition is why the Queen is still alive right now. They can't, like, you know, do that during the Christmas period, can they? Right. It's See, tradition, uh, obviously, she died weeks ago,
3: but traditionally, we behave as though she's alive, and we don't see why her dying should change that tradition. Exactly.
1: But I, I think that's- it's just an excuse. It's just a justification. If the MCG was on fire, if there was an earthquake, if we were in the middle of a war, they wouldn't fucking go to the cricket.
2: Yes, they would. Um, All right, they- Absolutely fucking would.
1: <laughs> I would say that if the
3: MCG was on fire, I would support Scott Morrison going to <laughs>
0: <laughs> You must uphold tradition. Get so, in there. Yeah,
2: I have really had to jump in there. But if there was a war, they would absolutely have still have the cricket.
0: If there was yeah. a war, for sure. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we wouldn't have the same types of cricket as we do. We would have all the reserves because we'd be shipping them off overseas. Yeah. But yeah, I would say that if... if If Australia was deploying troops to kill
3: brown people overseas, we probably would see the PM go to the cricket.
1: That's not a war. That's not a war. That's just resource acquisition. I mean an actual fighting for our lives. Uh, anyway, it's a silly metaphor.
3: Right. <laughs> if a different country was trying to resource acquisition us...
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a war.
3: <laughs> ...we would send the Prime Minister to the cricket.
1: I think one of the key things of Scott Morrison, and it's probably something we've discussed before, is he's just a man that never has faced consequences and has no understanding of what a consequence is. He does stuff oh, he I mean, or... he got
3: fired from Tourism Australia for suddenly I'm pulled off stage.
1: <laughs> did he get
0: fired or did he get promoted to Prime Minister... Like <laughs> Yeah, he's failed upwards <laughs> yeah. every time. He's not, he's not yeah. failed a consequence because he can get fired from jobs and his mates will cover up why. He will get put into a new position where no one will ask questions. Like, he hasn't faced a, a consequence at all because even the negative consequences of his actions benefit him.
1: And so he's never had a learning moment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's this, it, it,
3: he hasn't faced consequences because he's like a hollow mascot suit <laughs> that sort of corporate <laughs> Australia
0: wears to sort of do whatever they want. Look, right. I- I would like to move on from Scott Morrison talk. And we we you guys all had a go at me for bringing up the toilet talk and honestly this is worse. <laughs> um, there are like I I just I do want to talk about like the broader sort of consequences of this whole fucking let yeah. it rich strategy it was like Yeah okay. because One of the big things at the moment is that they've pivoted away from these PCR tests where you have to stand in line or drive in line for fucking hours and get like a proper good test that can pick it up and they've gone, nah, don't worry about it, we're not even counting them anymore, just go get a rapid test. And as everyone fucking listening to this knows, they are now suffering psychic damage because of this fact, we can't fucking get these tests anywhere. They are just, Mm. they are selling out at every single second that they are in the shop. They are then gone the next one. It's just, it's not working. Supply chain has fallen apart. One interesting fact I did find out this week, though, is that there is a company in Queensland making 100,000 rapid tests a day and literally all of them are going to the United States. Or a mining company, I'm sure. For free. Mm -hmm. It is insane. And they have said, oh, yeah, we've actually got capacity to increase that to 200,000 rapid tests a day. And we're going to do that and still send them all overseas Mm -hmm. because the Americans want them. And Australia, the Australian government didn't want them. Now, there is something to do with the fact that ATAGI didn't actually say that their specific types of tests are allowed to go blah, 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 because this one wasn't fast tracked, blah, 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 blah. The fact remains... That there are tests being made and the government is not doing anything about it, and they—we all know—they were warned in September that we will need more rapid antigen tests.
2: What I want to know is, like, how expen- how expensive is it to spin up something like production of rapid tests? Like, do you remember when at the very start of the pandemic, when everyone was freaking about, like, you know, need hand sanitizer, need to wash your hands, and that sort of thing, and multiple businesses which do not do hand sanitizer still change their production flow so that they oh, could yeah, contribute? Like the gin
3: distillery, yeah, doing yeah. Doing- how
2: how difficult I, think it would it I don't be. think a gin
3: distillery can pivot to rats. I think that's <laughs> I think that's. But, I mean,
2: like, how, how difficult would it be for, like, private label production companies to, like, be able to do that? Like, I don't know what's involved in an antigen test, but, you know.
1: So, hand sanitizer is basically just alcohol. So, that's incredibly easy to make um, because alcohol of a certain level, as long as it's proper alcohol- is going to be alcohol. Um, yeah. A rapid antigen test is much harder to make because it involves very specific biochemistry chemicals um, and put together in a certain way. But not impossible. And fucking a well, uh, big major economy. We can get that shit happening. Money yes. is no object because
0: it saves lives. This is the thing, is that it, 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 it is difficult to do those things, but with proper government support, it would be fucking easy to do. Yeah. It's cheaper
1: than building a submarine or a coal mine.
2: <laughs> I just want to, like, I want to shout out um, my friend Amy's joke about the rapid tests. Um, I did the spit one yesterday before um, going out with some friends, and she said, I love to see women in STEM because it's such a funny little kit, like it really makes you like feel like you're in a lab. You have to spit into a thing, you have to add some like mixer with it, and then like shake a test tube around, and then drip it onto like the rapid test. And I was just like, "Man, this is so technical."
3: Add some mixer. I-, I gotta say, I haven't considered that, but you are right. Every time I've done a rapid test, I I have enjoyed that. Yeah,
0: it felt like it a- <laughs> felt like a <laughs> little bloody right, th- scientist. <laughs> it is fun. Look at me doing my little tests. I've been putting on safety glasses for him. I don't need to. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I, do, I like, the idea, like, Evie gets dressed up and then puts on, like, scrubs and the big goggles and stuff over it yeah. with the gloves, does the test, and then just takes it all off and goes strutting out to a party. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm imagining now,
3: like, a Scott Morrison photo op of no. him doing a rapid no. test and he's, like, put on a lab
0: coat for no. it. He's looking at a test tube.
2: I-, I just need to see a photo of Scott Morrison doing the big... <sighs> to get, like, the flip
0: the, the test. <laughs> I just thought, though, can you imagine the fucking drips on Twitter analysing the photos? It's not his test! It's not his test! It was a different, Look at the different type of test! It's not even his spit! I can tell it's That's not just, his spit! Mm-hmm. That's not a government issue lab coat! <laughs>
1: I'm imagining they just insert that long stick just, like, eight inches up his nose and pull it out and his face doesn't flinch at all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps going. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely horrible. <laughs> that has upset me for the rest of the day. <laughs> We're well,
1: back on it. Scott Morrison. Okay. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well no, I so look, this is this is the other thing that I did sort of want to talk about is the fucking like, it's terrifying, but the hospitals are fucking mm. collapsing at the moment. Mm. Oh, boy. Like, people, doctors and nurses are quitting. They are overworked. They're super stressed. They're working in departments that they don't usually work in. Like, mm-hmm. I was I was talking to a nursing friend of mine last night who was saying that on their shift, a natal intensive care unit nurse mm. was put in the, like, postnatal department that they've never worked in before. Just yeah. because they they need to shuffle people around, and that's, like, the closest they can sort of get. And, like... It's not just COVID. Everything else is still happening yeah, at this the is, moment. This mm. is the
2: thing that you can't really quantify until you're in the fucked situation. That all these people who are being put into different departments—that's going to lead to other consequences and mistakes oh, that yeah. could have not, never, even been a possibility. I like—I yeah. think about like I've got a lot of friends who are in healthcare, um, who are not just on the ground but also like in admin and those kind of things. All these people are affected too because if a department has to isolate after being exposed that takes out like you know vast sections of like the hospital that aren't associated with covid so, you mm. know, the entire system starts, like, a very fragile ecosystem that's not adequately funded starts to fall apart very quickly.
1: Well, here's the thing. That happened months ago. Hospitals are currently at the point in Victoria where if you don't have something that's going to kill you today, you just can't get seen, mm. basically. It's either you're in there for COVID or you're bleeding out or, sorry, you're going to have to
0: wait.
2: I didn't climb on mm. any ladders this holiday because I just knew yeah. I'd <laughs> fall off it.
0: yeah. Okay, so this is something I really do want to stress. It's something that I've seen get some traction. I want to, you know, contribute my voice to that. But they're talking about how elective surgeries are being put on the Mm. back burner in a lot of instances. Mm. And you need to understand that elective surgeries are still fucking life-saving. Mm. The problem is yeah. the term elective surgery really does make it sound like something that you know it can be moved oh, around. It's not fun. that big a deal. Yeah,
3: you, you yeah. you'll get oh, to you're eventually. getting a nose job or something but, uh, elective I'm even saying,
0: like <laughs> some nose jobs
3: are medically important. Yeah. But like that's the yeah, thing, it, elective it just means like, yeah,
0: elective just means that the scheduling of it Mm-mm. can change. But in my life, two people very close to me have had elective surgeries. One of them was for fucking brain cancer, and the mm. other one was to stitch up a bile duct that was leaking into their stomach, mm. and. And And the idea that that sort of shit could be postponed even by a week or so is fucking terrifying. And I need to stress enough that the politicians at the state and federal level have fucking done this to us. They have Mm. not just, you know, abandoned us or whatnot- Their decisions have directly led to the suffering and deaths of people, and I really do think that that should be responded to in kind. It should be responded to in the same way if if someone came into your house and did that sort of thing to you. Like, you should be furious, and you should be scared, but you should also take it out on them. Mm, they They shouldn't feel good walking around the streets without going, oh, fuck, I'm not welcome here. I don't feel like I should be in this public space. Well, I mean, that's Scott Morrison's not...
3: Uh, uh, sorry to bring it back to him, <laughs> but he's not going out. He's staying in the commentary booth at the cricket. I, yeah, I think that this right. is hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, happening. <laughs> I yeah. hope he doesn't feel good outside Yeah, um, or inside. I hope he never feels good. I mean, he
2: clearly has some sort of level of not feeling good if he's not going to be seen in person at the cricket because he couldn't guarantee even the slightest bit of happiness at his appearance. Hmm. Like, he wouldn't be able to handle that.
1: Yeah. Uh, who who knows what what darkness lurks in the heart of someone? <laughs> <laughs> I think the hospital thing. What it really makes me think of, because I see like you know the New South Wales premier, I see Victorian politicians, I but especially in New South Wales where they're like, oh, our hospitals are doing fine. Where where. You know, yeah. we're meeting the needs. We've got capacity. And then you hear from the doctors, and they're like, it's fucked. It's a war zone. They're having to fly in medical stuff, They're having to get sick medical stuff, They're all going to quit as soon as they can. Like, it reminds me of the way other parts of our society work, where we outsource all the problems, usually to other countries. We mm. outsource the shitty labor conditions that build phones and clothes. We outsource our waste. We outsource our pollution so that we can have the illusion of a nice economy where everyone can go shopping. And now we've just got that happening in the same state. You've got the premier going, hey, go shopping, go to the pub, go to the, you know, casino. Everything's great. Don't worry about it. But the hospitals are a whole other world where people are dying and like literally and the hospital staff are like quitting en masse. And the ones who aren't quitting are so burned out that this is going to set, this is going to devastate the healthcare of the whole fucking country for a decade. Until we can retrain a whole new generation of medical staff, if we even can, because we've also fucked our education system.
0: That's the wider thing, is that, like, the the problems that we have now aren't just because COVID came out of nowhere. It's also because we have gutted the healthcare system for a fucking decade. Mm. Because we haven't trained people properly and we've made it, like, harder and harder to get through the university sector to get the training up. And, like... And we did that because it wasn't technically profitable in the short term. It's like, well, fucking look what happened now. When a totally unforeseen circumstance happens, we're fucked. And what we could have done is, you know, close to the bare minimum. I was thinking about this before we recorded. But this entire conversation about Omicron and the rat tests and all the rest of that is probably the most, like prescient Owl tagline of an inadequate response to an adequate mm. response has ever been. We're coming back into the new year with a podcast about rapid tests and Omicron. <laughs> Fuck! Like,
1: responses have never been so inadequate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Australia's healthcare
1: system is fully
3: collapsing, but don't worry, we're <laughs> uploading an MP3. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm doing my part. <laughs> but, I mean, look, there's fucking heaps of other stuff we could go into as well, like Scott Morrison lying about how, you know, the rat tests have always been free. Um, The Fucking nurses being asked to work, just people everywhere being asked to work when they're COVID positive, Mm. but without symptoms. Um, Oh, yeah. My favourite one was actually the (laughs) schadenfreude (laughs) of having, the schadenfreude of having business owners uh, coming out to the media and going like, oh, this is worse than lockdown. Oh, no. Fuck you. Fuck off. But- with that fuck off in mind i'm just fucking sick to death of of no one talking about the fact that no one should be paying rent still like mm-hmm. even just co- even commercial rent let's focus on that for a bit but all of these oh, places yeah. especially fucking music venues struggling when they shouldn't be struggling because everyone eventually wants to get back to their gigs yeah? But 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 we're, but we're struggling because we still have to pay this rent to these landlords who own the property. It's like, I don't think we fucking do. I think much more focus should be put on private and commercial landlords and the banks. Because as far as I'm concerned, they're doing fuck all. Like, unless, unless the only thing I see is political pressure and people pressure being put onto the banks and landlords, I don't think we're doing enough about that in particular.
2: I have it's to fine. disagree with you. Like- Banks aren't not doing anything. They're basically, like, just fading into the background just slightly, making sure that nobody, like, sees them disappearing. <laughs> uh, and the just hoping edge. that, like, yeah. It's just, like, uh, if I if I don't move, nobody will notice that I'm here. <laughs> <Tenant's> <laughs> That's basically it. Because everyone science. knows that it's, it all depends on them in the end. As soon as they do any sort of, like, sudden movements, everything else will just fall well, apart.
0: You, you say that everyone knows that. But, again, there's so much, like business owners putting pressure on their workers. Like, you have to come in, though. No, you have to come in. It's, it's really fucked. We've yeah. got to open up. We've got to be paying. And, like, landlords being like, well, I need to get my rent, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, like I, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, you know where I and most of us sit with fucking landlords to varying degrees of Maoism. But the thing <laughs> is, it could be a very quick and united turnaround to just get that message out there and to just, like, or everyone's slowly turning to look at the big banks and the landlords. And, I mean, we are looking at the Liberal Party. But, like, there are... Just like climate change, there are very few people responsible for this. And there are very easy things we could do to fix this. Hmm. Hmm. And it just I think requires- that's actually a
3: really good point to, to say that, like, we tend to look at the Liberal Party. But I, I think that the banks and the landlords functionally speaking have more power than the liberal party like the, yeah. the the liberal party is just doing what they're doing because they're like well you know w- w- this is what the banks want us to do obviously i'm using banks as a bit of a shorthand but like the yeah. we, we, the, the banks in australia are fucked we had a royal commission that was like oh yeah all of the banks <laughs> are just like yeah we we facilitate like sex slavery and like all kinds of horrific shit and that th- 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 we've known that for years. Those banks are still operating, yeah. and b- most Australians
0: still do their banking with them. Wh- what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> nah, it's uh. <sighs> well, enjoy the interview with Emerald Moon. <laughs> 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 but um, it fucking feels good to be back. As dire as it all is, I like having a scream, and I like it not feeling impotent. Yay!
1: <laughs> it's still good impotent, but mate. it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: Joining me now is a former Greens candidate, current co-host of the Serious Danger podcast, and former vocalist of punk hardcore heavy rad band Class War. It's Emerald Moon. Thanks for coming on.
4: Hi. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I've I've got known you vicariously through Twitter and your work for a little while now, and then when you started the Serious Danger podcast with uh, comedian Tom Ballard. I was super fucking excited to hear you also mention that not only were you the vocalist in a like a heavy screamy punk band, but also <laughs> um, grew up in the north coast of New South Wales area. Because I did as well, and I find the area fucking fascinating. But I also find it kind of hard to bring up just in regular political conversation. Yeah. Because um, in in my experience, when because when I was there, probably about a decade ago. At the last time, it was just starting to go from proper, like almost facetious hippie retreat into Mm -hmm. just properly embracing gentrification. And I left probably a year before paid parking was put on the street. And that was like a big deal. Yeah. But so what's, what's the state of play now in that area of the world?
4: Well, yeah, I i mean, it's good. I i agree with you. I think it's like a fascinating area politically. I've had kind of dreams of, you know, writing something about this place and just its politics and I guess the vibe to use very North Coast language for a while. Um, <laughs> Cheer, yeah, but it's it's I think that you're right. I think Byron Bay in particular has pretty much just completely collapsed to, to gentrification. Um, I but. I think that in a way, and this is why I got really angry when that, that Byron Bay's show, the Netflix show was announced, uh, I'm sure your listeners yeah. will be familiar, but <laughs> because I I think that even though the majority of what sustains the economy of Byron Bay and the image of Byron Bay is influencers and incredibly wealthy people, that is a veneer that covers you know, an, an underclass of people who are serving those like incredibly wealthy people yeah. and who are fucking struggling to just live their lives and who may have been here for a long time and now, you know, can barely afford to to live there and, and struggling to find a home. So that's the tension that I think is really interesting now. On top of that, there's, you know, the fascinating politics of of like that it used to be, you know, Malumbimbe, where I'm from, was sort of an agricultural area that then had this influx of of um you know new age hippies and so there's that kind of yeah running up against rampant capitalism um so yeah. it is it's an interesting place
0: yeah so like so i know that there is a uh, comedian mandy nolan who's actually running for the greens mm. um who is like again st- straddling this weird line of like you know she's a, she's an artist she's a performer comedian what do you think Like, her best strategy and just politics in general for that area with a mix of, like you said, essentially servants for very, very rich people, very, very rich people, the agricultural industry, these people that want all these houses. Like, how is that just one electorate and how do you sort of nail it, do you reckon?
4: yeah I mean gosh, I, that's a big question, and I hope that probably there are more, smarter people than me working on that that question. Um, but I think that you can't fall for the, the the lie that the majority of people living in in Byron are, you know that, that incredibly wealthy like I, I still do think that you can appeal to probably a majority of people who aren't. there's always going to be there's the one percent who really own. Those massive mm-hmm. properties, you know, the the multi-million dollar properties along along water goes. I think everyone who, who lives in Byron in, in, in some way or most people have access to a certain level of wealth. But I think that you probably are better off appealing to people who, who are struggling, to the majority of people who... Maybe are still clinging to what they believe was their home and to the community that they they came here for, um, even when it's fucking destroying their their bank account. You know, I think of of people yeah. like my mum who and and a lot of people moved here because of the the community, which is a bit of a, a twee word, but you know they're just kind of they're still stuck here or, or or clinging to the to the life here, even though yeah it means they can barely afford to. To eat, and I do think that Mandy Nolan is is from what I've seen. She is, you know, that's what she is trying to connect with, and that's what she represents, rather than yeah. someone from, I suppose, the new wave of people living in in Byronshire.
0: Well, yeah, like, like my mum's still in the area as well and seeing mm. like how difficult that shit's been. It's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, one of the like fastest rising demographics of homelessness or people with precarious housing is women over the age of 45. Yeah. And th- that you see, like I think a lot of people sort of assume that that's like, you know, inner city Melbourne women in those sort of mm. positions. But like I think it really is like people like my mum who, you know, parents got divorced in the nineties and we, we went down Byron way and we started living that cool hippie life. And now they've been squeezed out of even those fucking areas. It's not just a city problem now. And those areas don't get as much attention. They don't get the, the focus.
4: Yeah, no, there's a lot of people I think. And, and it's true that you're right. A lot of people who might've moved to, to Byron Shire, which is, you know, sort of Brunswick, Malumbimby, Byron, Byron Bay. Um, a couple of decades ago, then everyone's sort of gradually moving out. And a lot of folks that I know that might've grown up in Byron Shire are now living in Lismore, one of the last places that people can still afford to live. Um, And there is like this massively growing homeless population. I think my mom's lucky enough, you know, somewhat lucky that she has been able to hold on to a lease for for some years now um, that she can just barely afford on the DSP. But That, you know, this is a, it's like a deeply unsafe house that it will, you know, massively flood when it, when it rains and she'll be in there. She's over 60, you know, trying to hold the creek back from, from flooding into her house and, you know, trying to not do anything to upset her anti-vax landlords because they could kick her out at any moment. Like that level of insecurity, is just, you know, it's, it's defined, like it defines her life.
0: But we've got Chris Hemsworth. That's right. That's so cool. it kind
4: of, yeah, when you think about it, it's like you weigh it up. There's some good, there's some bad. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I just, I, this is something I've been thinking about for a while. And this is why I was really keen to see Mandy Nolan because I know her from comedy. I used to do that then. Ah. So she, was, she was a fixture in that. And oddly enough, as well, um, Tamara Smith in New South Wales Green used to be my mm-hmm. English teacher. Which really. Is very weird. Um go. yeah, and I was an asshole to her and I feel really bad but like <laughs> <laughs>
4: Yeah, I remember I did like a comedy like a kids comedy course with Mandy Nolan when I was, you know, maybe oh, hell yeah. 13 or something. Um yeah. So, yes, <laughs> I've done the comedy rounds yeah. too.
0: <laughs> well, I think, but that, that's what I was going to say is like she is a fixture of that area. Yeah. Like she hasn't, you know, got, gotten big in, in Ballina, Byron and then moved away to the city to try to make it. She has stayed mm, there. True. And what's super cool about that is that I've been saying for a very long time that like the Greens need to run local candidates in rural places to like go against the nationals Mm -hmm. in those areas, like a Greens farmer to start smashing stuff because they're not going to respond to, you know, an inner city Adam Band type out there being like, oh, hello, you know what I think. (laughs) It's like you just need like, you know, a a Ricky Muir type who's just very all on board for the environment. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) shoring, shoring up the problems for people who are fucking struggling.
4: Well, I mean, that's what I think it's interesting that Mandy Nolan is the Greens candidate for for Richmond because, like, I, I think arguably there are a lot of threats to the the Greens vote in, in the area, which is, you know, one of the greenest um, areas in, in the country for some time because, yeah, notionally progressive and, and really care about the environment mm. and kind of an activist. Um, and also, I guess, yeah, anti-war movement, quite strong, um, in, in the northern rivers, so there's been a high green vote, but I think that the the anti-vax uh, sentiment is likely to cut chunks off that, and there's also a bunch of micro parties that are coming in and trying to undercut the yeah. the greens vote with, you know, for example, anti like population control kind of development Um, um, parties, the the Sustainable Development Party, which has some really sus population policies.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Um, some stuff you read and it's just like, are you winking at people I can't see? Yes, absolutely. (laughs)
4: Absolutely they are. They're like, we're the Greens, but a little bit racist. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which, and yeah, so there's. I think it's like people are kind of, and and the Greens in in some areas, I think particularly in Byron Shire, and almost seen as establishment now. And so people who want an anti-establishment party are looking for something new, something fresh. Um, but I think then the fact that Mandy Nolan, who is so yeah such a fixture of of the area, then chooses to run as as a Greens candidate is quite interesting to me because I think she'll connect to a lot of of those people, and I and I hope that um, maybe be able to reinforce that the the values that you know originally were kind of integral to this area or not that not that there haven't always been some kind of shitty <laughs> shitty parts to you know white hippies <laughs> moving into into an area we can talk about that yeah. later but um but yeah like the things that people like to think that they love about this area um that yeah. that is embodied okay by, so, by so that's a,
0: actually a really good point to ask you about something that really interested in getting your take in which is essentially the the difference between and the tension between Um, focusing on party politics and voting versus uh, activism and and boots on the ground. Um, Listeners may or may not be aware that, I mean, a lot of it's on Twitter, but there are genuine discussions around like do you bother with elections, do you bother with voting and do you bother with building a party or should you just focus on activism? Is voting a mugs Mm. game? It doesn't really do anything. The systems are too powerful. Um, what's, what do you think is the absolute 100% correct take on this? Uh,
4: (laughs) censored, um, because it was too powerful. I I had the absolute (laughs) correct take and we had to cut it out there because it would have just blown all of your minds. Uh, yeah, I have no fucking idea. This is the problem. Like, I think people would probably look at me and what I do and I dedicate a shitload of my life to the Greens, which is an electoral project, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I know that I'm doing the right thing and I fucking struggle about whether I am because, if, you know, especially like I, I work for an MP as well and I work in parliament. and I think the more that I work in parliament, in Queensland parliament in particular, probably because it's such a fucking waste of time and a <laughs> sham democracy. Um, but yeah, the more time that I spend that I'm I see how the system is obviously organized to kind of create a, a veneer of, of accountability and, and of democracy and participation and, and potential for, for change um, while really it, it has built-in mechanisms to absolutely squash any real threat to to power. And that's mm. kind of, a lot of the time I see that and it's really disheartening and I have these moments where I'm like, fuck, am I wasting my time as, you know, and we haven't got much time left. Um but I guess I, I have a few friends who you know who would identify as as anarchists as well, or as communists, who don't believe that, um, you know, ultimately don't believe in 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 a state, uh, and yet they still dedicate a lot of time to the greens. And for example, I I have a friend Sean who does a whole lot of green stuff, but also the way that they they justify it to themselves is they do activism stuff as well. They're like, as long as I'm not just doing green stuff, as long as I'm also, you know, supporting First Nations uh, causes on on the ground, or if I'm I'm also um, actively supporting, you know, the the refugee blockade that was happening in the Brisbane last year, um, or I'm I'm actively su- supporting, you know, nonviolent direct action on the climate crisis. All of this, like as long as I'm not just all eggs in one basket um, to the Greens, and I think that's my philosophy as well. The problem is I do end up spending just a lot of my time on this electoral project. Um, but then yeah. I, I think the other way that I, I justify it is that like I think I have valuable skills to try and pour into this project. And I think particularly in Queensland right now, the greens are growing at such a like such an exciting pace. We've really like we've been increasing our representation at each level of, of government over the last few years and with really radical, uh, you know, a really radical platform and and quite radical yeah. candidates um, in a way that I think is actually quite different to what the Greens have been doing across the country up until this point. And I see that, ha- you know, having the potential to not just change Queensland, um, but, but the whole country, because that strategy and that politics is really catching on with the federal party as well. And so I see kind of momentum there. And I guess as long as I am kind of, Checking myself and making sure that that momentum is like exciting and, and fast and powerful enough for me to be kind of confident about, then I'll keep doing this. But I mean, probably the reason that I'm, I'm rambling for so long is because this is what it's like in my head. I don't, I
0: don't know. <laughs> <laughs> One last topic I did want to I want to hear cuz like I said at the top we have a very mm. similar sort of trajectory and, and and interests and stuff like um you know we both grew up in the northern new south wales area where both like by a fairly large margin I'd say the coolest hosts of our own podcast but also you are <laughs> mm, yeah
4: and most well liked
0: smartest yeah. um but you are also yeah. uh, like a screaming vocalist. We were talking before the interview about how the term singer makes us a bit uncomfortable because like, <laughs> I'm not fucking singing. Don't, I'm, that's offensive to everyone involved if you no. call that singing. But um, how did you get yeah. into not only that type of music, but also being a, a vocalist of that style of music?
4: Okay. Where to start? I think probably my niece could have been the one who got me into heavy music in general. Oh, yeah. Um she's just classic quirky northern rivers family things. My niece is a year older than me. So that might make a little bit more sense as to why she was giving me, you know, little hard <laughs> hard drive um with a bunch of 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 hardcore and and metal bands. Um but yeah it's I I don't really know if there was any particular point it was like she was interested in it I had a friend that I got the bus with that was interested in in heavy music um yeah. and but but Byron like for for folks who don't know I guess Byron quite like has an unusually strong or had mm-hmm. an unusually strong hardcore um and heavy music scene and, like, generally to, to the point where, you know, if if hardcore and, and heavy bands were, were touring Australia, it would be kind of every capital city and Byron.
0: Not only that, the, the, the Byron Bay High School gymnasium.
4: Yeah, yeah, I've yeah. I've seen...
0: So many fucking big bands come through there and play that because it was established as a place that you yeah. can, like between the Berry to Me and stuff, played on the floor at the gym. It was fucking Yeah, sick. yeah.
4: And you'd pack into, yeah, the massive, this this hall. Because there was, yeah, there was yeah. Byron Bay High School and, and there was the Yak the Youth Activity Centre. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I guess like a lot of that would be because Parkway Drive, one of the the biggest or, you know, famous, most famous um metalcore or hardcore bands, came from, from Byron and so established a bit of a, a reputation and, and also, yeah, an, an exciting scene for, for young kids to come up and, and, and make new bands in and, and go to shows. Um so I probably started going to shows when I was like twelve or so. Um <laughs> And I just was fucking, I was just in love with it because it was just, it's the coolest thing ever when you're this tiny little kid and you rock up yeah. to a place and there's just all these like cool teenagers just yep, un, like inexplicably swinging punches and spin kicks uh, <laughs> in a kind yeah. of space in the middle of this hall. And it's just like so kind of confronting and also just everything that you want as a teenager. And I just thought it was yeah. so cool and I just wanted to be all their friends so bad. Um, <laughs> and, but yeah, like I, I just started, you know, that's where I kind of made all of my friends and a lot of my mentors and and role models growing up were, were in hardcore and I had, I guess back in the day, I mean, the hardcore scene is is really not what it used to be in Australia anymore, but um, back in the day, the the community really worked. I think on kind of, there was a bit of a mentorship, like unofficial mm. mentorship program. Like there would really be, if the older people saw like a younger kid at a show, they would come up and, and introduce themselves and kind of, you know, they would then, you know, they'd drive you to shows, they'd, they'd give you bands to listen to, um,
0: yeah. and that
4: was the experience I had. So, yeah, I just kind of grew up in, in hardcore, and it, by the time that I, I did Class War, like, I only did that in 2019, so it was well after, at that point already, there weren't really shows anymore, like, not many um, hardcore bands in, in the country anymore, um, but it's just always still, you know, it's something I love. It was always something I always wanted to do, but I was too scared when I was younger. Um, right. Yeah, so... I just finally did it, I guess.
0: I wanna I wanna ask about two different strands there. But I suppose yeah. for for class war then, that is a huge jump between like, you know, spending, you know, teenage years in that sort of thing and then waiting however many years to do a band. Was there one particular catalyst where you're like, no, I have to get on a fucking mic and scream right now? I'm <laughs> I, done.
4: <laughs> I don't know. I think I probably was just always looking for the opportunity and I finally found, I guess, the right like a group of people that I felt comfortable doing a band with, and I—it was probably also that I was older and more comfortable with myself. Um, yeah, yeah. So I could do it, but I—I I probably, yeah, I, that was around the time that I was running as a as a federal candidate, and I needed a place that I could go and <laughs> yell as loud as I could, and that felt really good.
0: <laughs> That's so good, yeah. The the punk vocalist Greens candidate is fucking <laughs> sick. It yeah. really is. But like, because I I feel like there is something to like heavy music and in particular screaming, for me at least, it's like there is an energy and an aggression that's not necessarily negative, but like it's of a similar piece as to us just labour bashing. Like just that <laughs> sense of just like outward external release and that energetic sort of hit to it. I, I, I still find it really cathartic. I mean, yeah. I was yeah. At, Dickhead young man back in the day doing a you know, metalhead, but still, as my politics have progressed and as I've worked on myself and I try to be better, I'm still always like, yeah. But actually, give me a mic. I just want to scream for now.
4: Yeah, <laughs> nothing. I there are a few things that that make me feel better, and I think the whole thing is about a release. Um, and obviously that's why you know it attracts a bunch of often kind of damaged, but it's like angry teenagers. Um, and there's yeah the 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 process of. Of you know, listening to hardcore music or, or making hardcore music, um, but also even just going to a show and being thrown around a room—like it's all—it's all, a, it's all a, a type of of release. Um, and even when when the anger is kind of ill-defined, uh, yeah, that that physical process I think is is quite powerful.
0: Yeah, but I mean the the other aspect of that too is that I I do love that the. Like the appearance of hardcore and metal and, and punk is very, it is aggressive. It's very, like, you know, quote unquote threatening. But in my experience and in the experience of non metalheads, they are the nicest people, and the crowds are some of the best like the sense of community is something I've taken with me into union organizing and and, and politics of like fuck mm. I wish this was a metal gig like this yeah. would be so much better and easily organized, and there would be so much more camaraderie if there was a mosh pit involved for some reason
4: yeah i I think the community is is incredible, and I think that comes from the fact that like originally yeah hardcore was often like poorer kids um you know in places like New York coming together who maybe had a kind of a shit life and needed a family outside of the family that they, they did or, or didn't have at home. Um, and I think, yeah, like I said, the fact that there were people there who were kind of like, yeah, they treated me like a little sister um, and taught me a whole lot of everything that I know and uh, some of the like softest and sweetest people that I, I know, it's, it's true, I think the stereotype certainly doesn't hold.
0: It's felt shit to watching my, you know, friends and even my bandmates and everyone else, but like watching the whole system sort of, you know, stop and then implode um, with the, you know, coronavirus stuff. But I can't fucking imagine what it would have been like, you know, being 16 two years ago or even like early 20s Mm. and like what – because I moved to Melbourne purely for music. That was like my whole thing. And there is like just a, you know – a tremendous loss, like a genuine sense of loss for the fact that shows couldn't go ahead, but now there's like, there's a real weird vibe around them, obviously. Like I'm mm. not I'm not comfortable being in that space and that's fucked because the point is the comfort. The point yeah. is being yourself and expressing yourself however you want and it's just not the same to just, you know, listen to music in your room. Yeah, it's like, heartbreaking.
4: I, I can't imagine, yeah, like I think I have, probably politics takes up that space in in my life now. But at one point, hardcore and and heavy music and shows was, you know, pretty much my whole life and what I did in my spare time. And to have that taken away from me, particularly as a young person, like I think that would would be absolutely shattering.
0: And like, I mean, obviously not just metal and hardcore, but that's, you know, my lens, how how I see this sort of stuff. That was one of the big things for me to hit home, like, over the last two years just how, you know, the levers of politics or the power there or whatever impacts the smallest sort of stuff. Like, these venues need support. Artists need support. We now have two years' worth of bands that haven't gotten up. Like, I had, in 2019, I was, you know, on Triple J doing the metal show, and it felt really fucking cool to find some bands and give them a leg up and give them exposure because it's like, you guys are going to fucking kill it. And then they just sort of halted. And I was like, fuck. Like we 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 need the churn. We need people constantly trying and failing and getting better. Yeah, because you can't just restart it. Well, this and is that's the- such a fuck thing for the art sector.
4: Yeah, I mean, not only COVID, but like this is a, a bigger conversation. And, and yeah, as you say, it kind of it shows how those like political and policy decisions have massive flow on impacts in in the real world. But it's like I think. The other big reason that we haven't had particularly in in heavy music or I think even in indie music in general, um, it's been harder for young kids to participate in those more niche scenes because there are no small all ages venues that can operate yeah. anymore. They this can't is, afford yeah. to operate. Um, you can't go to a five dollar show at the yak anymore. You can't go to a five dollar show at you know at the high school. There are you know no no all ages venues in in cities. It's all in fucking bars, and so kids aren't getting into it young. And then yeah. kids who might be having a rough time don't have somewhere to go where it's alcohol-free, where they can, you know, meet people who then might look out for them. Um, instead, they, they've got nowhere to go. They might go do something stupid, you know, end up in detention. Like, who fucking knows? I often think about yeah. this, like, that if I didn't have hardcore as a young kid, like, I'm straight-edge, which means, like, I've never done drugs. I've never, you know, drunk. I've never been drunk. I've never smoked, um, which I, I got through through hardcore and and through having people that were straight-edge around me. Um, and I think if I didn't have that, like, I don't know where I would have been. You know, a lot of other kids from from Bimby, especially poorer kids, um, they, yeah, they would not, like, they would have ended up with, I might have ended up with a shitter life if I didn't have that place to go that was like a safe, supportive space for me as a kid.
0: That's a really fucking good point is that, like. Again, the fucking gentrification of like <laughs> it's it's not it's not profitable to have yes. non-alcohol or like not have no big festivals in, in are profitable.
4: Venue. Selling drinks at the bar is profitable, and so that's where music and arts are allowed. You know, and like it's not profitable <laughs> even just to create spaces for young kids to go and and hang out. Um, the mall's profitable, but like. Like,
0: yeah. But but what if, what if we found value in like fostering good experiences and feelings for children? Like, fucking, what if, what if we just spent money on that and didn't want to return?
4: (laughs) Imbecile. Uh, You sound like a bloody fucking pie in the sky green.
0: I vote Greens because I want to smash kids in a mosh pit. I miss all ages. Exactly.
4: I want to spin kick <laughs> a child. That's why I vote Greens.
0: <laughs> I want to crowd kill some high schoolers. <laughs> Lemmy, Adam. Adam Bant, Bair- you run on that platform. I will follow you into hell. Um, and it has been, like, amazing. Just, like, there's a there's a dude, Ash, in Melbourne who has put on these all-age festivals for the last little while. And his whole thing was they have to be – all ages, yeah. And I credit the like the those um, couple of shows that he's done in these festivals that he's done in Melbourne to uh, some bands. Like, there's a band called Justice for the Damned, mm-hmm. super fucking heavy, and they had just managed to get themselves onto a regular touring schedule. And I reckon it's because again, these young kids had a space to go to support them, and that yeah. like gave them enough sort of both financial and like just moral support. To push yeah. them into it, which yeah, they wouldn't have gotten because they were all so young. And like yeah, no, that's a fucking really good point that I hadn't really thought about before. And now I'm just like, ah, fuck. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. It's funding sad. funding the arts, like I I wouldn't have had the yak. I wouldn't have had the Ballina RSL gigs that I mm. went to where you know, you were spin-kicking each other. And like, yeah, that's fucking important. And it is, it isn't something. It isn't something that should be profitable. There is value yeah. in it outside of the profit. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Like, surely you can. Surely you can sell that. Surely there's enough people out there who are not completely worn down by the system that we're in that don't have to just look at number go up and can be like, yeah, no, you're right. There's that's that's just a social good.
4: Uh, I mean, I hope so. And even if not, like, you know how much it fucking costs to lock a child up in prison which, like, I'm not saying that's, you know, a direct line <laughs> alternative, but it's, like, that's the thing. You don't fund community spaces and, and support services and, and venues. Like, these yeah, this are is what this is part of what is needed to replace the yeah. cook system where we lock children up in prison as young as 10 years old. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well.
4: Anyway, that's- this is fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is this, that that was invigorating and crushing all at the same time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a fucking amazing chat. Thank really you. Really do appreciate it. Is there anything you want to plug or are there any calls to actions you want to get our listeners uh, up and doing?
4: If you do want to do some electoralism um – Please volunteer for the Greens for the federal election. Please go door knocking. I'm sorry to ask you this. I know this makes me sound like a fucking loser, um, but it like it's honestly one of the most satisfying things that you'll ever do is go door knocking if you can. Yep. Um, so please try that. But yeah, you can you can listen to the the podcast. The podcast is called Serious Danger. It's with Tom Ballard. Um, I think we are at. At serious danger AU on Twitter and Instagram, if you want to follow us there, we post little clips from from the episodes. If you are too lazy to listen to the full hour every week, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and you can follow me if you like. If you want to see my spicy takes on Twitter, I'm at Emerald X Moon. Yeah,
0: is that X uh, Straight Edge related? It is. Or yeah, that was just yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah, not that anyone would, who follows me would know that, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just, yeah, there's there's the thing lodged in the back of my mind where there was the divide between like the straight edge kids and the and the drinking kids oh and it was God. the MSN messenger names and the Hotmail accounts that we all had, either yep. had like the X's or not. Always it was an like, X, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that. it's just like, yeah, sometimes you don't want to let it go. It's, a, you know, X moon, it's in there, represent.
4: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. This has been great.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: Shoutouts this week. I know this is totally perpendicular to literally anything else that's been discussed this entire episode. But shout out to every single one of the acts that has uh, gone along with the boycott with of the Sydney Festival and mm. removed, well, you know, stopped their their show. Um, that's that's if you haven't been following that story, the Sydney Festival's accepted a a, a grant from the Israeli embassy, and a lot of people are like. <laughs> Free Palestine, <laughs> correctly. Let's let's like, sort of call that out for being bullshit. S- Sydney Festival's like, no, we could easily replace that money, but we will keep it for yeah. sure. Yeah, see, that's People the thing.
2: Like, it's only no. $20,000, but it's the principle it's of the thing. It's only $20,000?
1: Yeah. The fucking
3: amount that the Sydney Festival has put their foot down over this is, is bonkers. Oh, so suddenly, there's...
1: none of you support genocide.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so obviously... A a lot of acts have been pulling out of that. This is not a good time to be in the arts in Australia. So Mm. this is... Everyone there has been sort of um, putting their neck out a bit, taking a hit. Uh, So shout out to them. Shout out to doing that. And obviously... I mean, it's fucking ridiculous to say at the end of a comedy podcast, but shout out to Palestine, like mm-hmm. <laughs> fucking hell. You know, yeah. the, the, the 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 reason that the boycott exists is because that situation is so horrifying. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I I I think that it is a bit weird to be like you know good on the 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 you know the the boycott without at least also acknowledging that as well. So. Yeah. 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 Oh. We'll put it
0: we'll put a link to the um BDS, the boycott divestment and sanctions website. Um you should read up if you haven't heard about this before. It's uh it and it's effective. It worked in apartheid South Africa, and you can tell it's working now because they're running breathless articles with fucking old members from Kiss going like, "No, mm. oh, I don't reckon it's good." Like, uh, you fucking we need losers. someone.
3: We need an Australian icon to to rally the people in support of Israel. Oh, I know.
2: Gene Simmons. Peaceful. Easily the funniest thing they could have done. Like, just so so funny. Of all the people, what is going? <laughs> so
3: yeah. Hopefully, that continues to be effective. Oh, oh you- God.
0: But yeah, and shout outs as well to the, specifically to the BDS organizers here in Australia who have been doing fucking amazingly, um, appearing on live TV and smashing the interviews, messaging all the artists, getting the messaging right and doing a fucking amazing job of it and being bulletproof too. They've done everything Mm. right and when people come out and try to like, you know, lie or exaggerate about how horrible they've been all that, they're just like, no, we've got receipts and you can see right here exactly what we're doing they're doing it well. So fucking massive support for them as well.
2: Being able to do that kind yeah. of communication not only during the holiday period but at a point where everything is so fucking saturated with coronavirus news and to be able right? to have that yeah. you know, push through to is the- just amazing yeah. to me.
0: Totally. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough 2022. Uh we'll be back. Share us around. Share us with everyone. Tell everyone you know. Tweet about us. Retweet us. All the rest of that sort of stuff. That's really great. Uh, also, get in touch with us. We're on all the socials at not good Pod, or also the email not good Pod at protonmail.com. Not Good Enough is
3: recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their oldest past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.